1: All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio. You've got Rebecca Shallon filling in for Brandy today. Um, And on today's show, we have a very accomplished young woman. We've got Lauren Hillman. She's an author, actress, entrepreneur, all the things. And I'm very excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so we always like to start with like a little bit of an introduction. So why don't you tell the people at home a little bit about who you are um, and why you came on today?
2: Sure. So my name's Lauren and I grew up in a small town in Northern Ontario before I moved out here to BC to pursue my dream of acting. Um, and once I got to BC, I kind of switched gears altogether. I pursued acting for a little while, but now I am the artistic director of a youth theater company out here in BC. So I do plays with younger students, kids and teens, and we I teach acting classes and drama programs in schools. We do original theater a couple times a year. We create new original plays, and I've also transitioned into other work from that. So I've Doing a lot of playwriting. I started writing novels. I'm writing my second novel right now. Uh, Both were for young people. The first was a middle grade, and now I'm working on a young adult novel for teens. So yeah, I do do a lot of things.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's incredible. I I love that you do so many things. Like what um, sort of set you on this on this path? Were you always um, you know set to do this?
2: Oh yes, absolutely. I was probably 5 years old when somebody asked me, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I was like, "I'm going to be an actor." And <laughs> the people looked at me and were like, mm, "You mean an actress, don't you, sweetheart?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> an actor." <laughs> and I just I, I took it so seriously, and I think it's just because I'm a super stubborn person that I never changed my mind. I hadn't even done it at that point. I don't know what appealed to me about it at that young age, but I was probably more like 10 or 11 when I actually started doing it. And like most people in the industry will tell you, you get bitten by it. There is just something that draws you to it and pulls you in. And if it's for you, it is, it is a hundred percent for you. And that's where I live.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. It's definitely something you do for the love. Like if it's for you, then you're all in. If it's mm-hmm. not for you, you, you learn very quickly.
2: and <laughs> um, it's, then- it's very painful. Right, Mm. There's a lot of aspects to acting that are really emotionally painful from the professional level when you're going to be dealing with rejection, et cetera, all the time. But even when you're just playing around with it, there's a certain level of emotional vulnerability that you just have to be open to, and that opens you up for pain. So it takes Mm -hmm. a certain type of person to do it. And then I remember when I was going through acting school at university, I remember... You know, there's just so much work that you put in that people don't always realize is there behind the acting. And the students and the teachers had a had a saying at the time about how if you can make it through four years of acting school and still like what you do, then you're probably meant to do it.
1: Mm. I think you bring up a valid point. With um, it does open you up for pain and things like that. What sort of um, like self care routines do you have in place to you know take care of yourself when you are in those vulnerable stages?
2: Well, if I'm being really honest actually, Rebecca, the emotional vulnerability is part of my self-care. Like for me, the acting itself is self-care. It's so cathartic for me. It's such a great emotional release. I'm a person who really struggles with that in my normal day-to-day life. I have a hard time expressing my emotions, um telling people that I'm grateful and being thankful for things. All of these things that like somehow come really naturally when I'm playing a character but I can't do it in my personal life very easily and I have been working Mm. on that but so for me the acting itself is really cathartic um and really stress relieving um, Mm. and really brings joy so I would call that actually part of the self-care but there's a million other things I do as well um I take a lot of baths to relax. (laughs) That is something I do for self-care. And I read a lot, which is a form of escapism, but also it's just a happy place for me. And as soon as you can identify what your happy places are and whatever those things are for you, you just got to take advantage and actually do
1: them. For me, it's reading. Mm Mm-hmm. I I like that yeah it definitely is quite cathartic but there are you know certain roles that you step into that can be really really challenging um and you do sort of have to like be aware of that and and yeah make sure that you you have those like structures in place that protect you from you know going too far down
2: exactly especially if you're playing a really dark character or a character who mental health challenges themselves or like being Mm -hmm. like a deep depression psychopathic characters they're so fun to play but yeah they can suck you into a bit of a hole as well and um one of the last shows that I did was really an emotional ending and you know because I was playing the lead in the show yours is the character where you really go on the journey with them right so I was going through like this big emotional journey every night and there were some days that when the show ended. I would be driving home from Coquitlam, 45 minute drive, and I still hadn't shaken my character off entirely. I was still coming home with like this heaviness, I guess, um, from what I had left behind on stage, but not being able to leave it fully, fully behind. Um, So sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of going out for a drink after the show (laughs) that can help um sometimes I blast music and sing on my way home in the car to shake it off as well that's another thing that I I like to do just sing along to music just for fun I'm not saying I'm any good
1: (laughs) so I I think that's um a good point you sort of raised you have to sort of identify uh what your outlets are and what allows you to release anything that might be you know just lingering from any sort of vulnerable experience and just really sort of make an intentional, like, decision to to practice that after, like, going through it. Um, and also I've heard you sing, so I, I think you should take that back. You are a very good singer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, So you also mentioned uh, that with your um, theater company, you do original plays. Now, is that uh, things that you write or is it something that you co-write with uh, the kids and the teens that are involved?
2: Usually it's more collaborative. Um, The last show we did, not the last show, because we just finished one a week ago, but the one before that, I had written an adaptation Mm -hmm. of The Princess Bride. And the And I had written all the songs, all the lyrics. The entire script was an adaptation of The Princess Bride. And all the kids didn't really collaborate on that other than taking the characters um, on for themselves. And I had someone who composed music for it, which I do not do, although Mm -hmm. I did do the lyrics, which I'm very proud of. But Mm. most cases, when we do an original show, it's more collaborative. So one of the things that I like to do with the students and my predecessor probably did it very differently, even though she also did original children's productions, same company, we're just different directors and we're going to do things different ways. But what I do with the students when I do original shows is I usually would start with just a basic, basic outline of -hmm. this is the storyline. Like last year we did Narnia, for example, um, Lying the Witch, in the Wardrobe. So I was like, well, we know we have to start with the four Pevensey kids and we have to have the scene where we meet them in the real world before they go into the wardrobe. Done. Mm-hmm. Then we need a scene where Edmund is through the wardrobe and he meets the White Witch. Then we need a scene where Lucy's through the wardrobe and she meets Tumnus. And you just kind of pick out those key scenes. And sometimes you get ideas going along where you have to fill in those gaps. But mostly I just start with that basic outline and then I'll give the kids say, we're gonna do this scene today, Lucy meets Tumnus. You, 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 you are all playing Lucy. Everyone else, you're playing temnus Find a partner. Improvise a scene. Mm-hmm. And we we might talk a little before we start about what do you see these characters' um, personalities like. What do you think she wants out of this scene? Um, and other like just little details to to talk about beforehand. Sometimes if they if it's source material where it's like it's from a book like Narnia, we'll talk about the characters beforehand. Like. Do you think he is excited to see Lucy here? Is he scared? Um, And, but then I just let them improvise. We do that for like 20 or 30 minutes, show and tell everybody. Well, I'm going to see like five or six versions of the same scene. And the kids will all tell me what they like about the scene um, that each person did. I like that this person was had said this thing. It was funny. I like that that she uh, reacted really scared when she saw this. Okay. And I just start pulling all of their great ideas and compiling it into one version of the scene so in the end I do go home and I write the script but I write it based off of the actual lines that they said in their improvisations
1: mm, that sounds like a really cool collaborative process and is there any sort of like common theme that you find keeps coming up ar- around certain age groups and and things like that like what do you find comes up a lot
2: I don't know if there is any one thing um yeah, I'm not really sure if there's any one thing that that I could say comes up a lot in the rehearsals. Just there's certain elements to the way young actors think and work, but I don't mm-hmm. know necessarily if there are themes. Um, usually, the themes aren't really decided by the students because that's either going to be a theme that we're pulling from the source material, right? Like this is what this story is about. It's about friendship. We can't really stray mm. from that, right? Mm. Uh, so we that's not something we necessarily come up with. That's usually there for us, either from the original source material or the general concept. Like we just did a play that we just finished in five days ago, last last weekend. And Mm -hmm. the theme for the show was anti-racism. We were doing Mm -hmm. a show that was going to be about diversity and multiculturalism in Canada. We were seeking funding from the Canadian government from a specific anti-racism initiative. So like that had to be what the story was going to be about. And it Mm -hmm. led to a lot of great discussions with the students. Um, But ultimately those discussions did feel a little bit forced because none of the students had necessarily seen or experienced that in their real life. They were discussing Mm -hmm. it much more intellectually. Uh, Mm. And now the next play that we're going to do is going to be themed around mental health children and teens, mental health, and the general idea of happiness. Like, what is happiness? Is it actually important? Is it the goal? Should we all be striving for it? And if so, how? How do we do it? How do we get there? What does getting there look like? All of those things that I think, well, I certainly thought about them when I was younger, and I still do. So I'm hoping it's something that other
1: kids nowadays are thinking about. Uh, Mm. But yeah, those themes were kind of pre-decided. Those are very important and and very big questions. Um, how do you go about navigating such heavy subject matter with with a younger audience?
2: Um, well, the plays themselves are going to come out pretty light because they're being developed by kids and not just by me, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of, say, navigating those discussions with students, it's just so much easier than, than you might think because kids are so open. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. For the most part, they say what they think and they don't hold back. And the relationship that I try to cultivate with my students is one where it's a little bit less of like teacher-student, I'm right, and you're going to listen to what I have to say. It's a lot more director and actor collaboration. Even though some of the kids I work with are as young as six years old. If it was circle time and it was not COVID and we could actually sit in a circle and and have this type of discussion, I would just ask the question and see what kids say. That's it. Um, And then let that lead the discussion from there.
1: How important uh, do you think it is to talk about these issues with kids so young?
2: I personally think it's incredibly important. I think we grew up In a society where people didn't talk about mental health enough and it created a stigma and say our generation, that has been getting diminished and diminished and diminished. But comparatively, if you compared our generation to our parents' generation, it's a big difference. And if we can continue that process so that the younger generation is never afraid to ask for help when they need it and they don't, you know, berate themselves over (laughs) so many little things... Um, then that would be great. That's that's the goal. But in addition, we're struggling with something basically unprecedented right now with COVID. And the kids who are, they're, they're struggling. I mean, I, I don't have to ask them to know that. I can see that um, there are kids out there who are just really struggling with their mental health. I think around the time that you and I um, first talked about doing this interview, there was... Mm-hmm. An incident that happened at a school near where I teach at, and it was um, a student shooting after school hours, Some, or not shooting, I think it was a stabbing, but uh, violence between kids and they think they were maybe like 14 to 16 years old, something like that. It just goes to show how much um, people are struggling with their mental health right now. And if parents are struggling, then yes, the kids are going to be struggling too. Kids are just really, really
1: good at hiding it. Mm. is is there such a thing as too young to be talking about this because I know that maybe some parents and and you know people in authority are, are probably avoiding having these conversations because they're trying to protect their children but in, in your opinion is that is that helpful or harmful
2: well in my opinion and I'm not an expert on mental health I do not think it's helpful I think these discussions can be started like the first time a child cries, how we react to that teaches them how to react, how they should be reacting to their own crying every time it happens. Right. So it doesn't matter what age it is. You just change the way you have the conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I read something a long time ago about, um, you know, if a kid falls off a piece of playground equipment, that it's not smart to immediately go, oh my gosh, are you okay? You must hurt. That must, that looks like it hurt. Are you sad? You don't, you let them guide you, right? Because half the time they're going to burst into tears and within seconds, those tears are going to be dry and they're back to play, right? Um, Mm. But if we make the big deal out, out of it, then they learn to make a big deal out of it. So you just let that, you just change the way you have the conversation, but I don't think there's a reason you shouldn't be talking about mental health with a two-year-old. It's just, you're not having it as an in-depth conversation. You're just teaching them the basic things, like how to put names to their feelings other than good and bad, right?
1: Yeah. Um, Is there any maybe advice or resources that you found helpful along the way uh, when it comes to addressing these sort of issues with different age groups?
2: I'm actually pulling together resources now, so I don't have any at the moment, but because of the show that we're doing coming up, I've been working with, I will be working, I guess is a better way of saying, with a couple of mental health professionals and experts in the field to pull together resources for this project, like resources of where kids can go to find help um, and, and other things like that, even internet sources or places within the community. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't have any ready right now, but that is actually going to be a big part of the project that I'm working
1: on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I want to talk a little bit more about your projects and uh, maybe your book. So how about we go on a little bit of a break? Um, but yeah, there's a lot of food for thought that we're talking about mm-hmm. so far. And yeah, we'll, we'll be back after this short break.
0: The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron. Live every Tuesday at noon Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned in to teen wealth radio to join in the conversation send an email to brandy at global teen that's brandy with an i at global teen now back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back to the show, guys. You are with Rebecca Shalon, and we have Lauren Hillman with us today uh, talking about her various projects um, and what acting has meant to her and her mental health. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your writing, Lauren. Um, tell us a little bit about the your first book and your next book coming up and, and all of those sorts of things.
2: Sure. So the first book I wrote, I think I published in probably 2017. I think it took me uh, like – in and around five years to complete between you know writing it editing it and then learning how to self-publish it the book itself is called outcast um so you can find it by searching outcast by lauren hillman uh on amazon and that's where you'd find it uh and it's a self-published book about a middle grade novel so for like the grades three to six ish would be probably the prime prime age group there and it's um a story about friendship and magic and fairies. It's set in a fairyland, has a talking hummingbird, which is great and just Mm -hmm. fun. And I started writing it because I realized that acting can just be a really hard way to make a living. I hadn't yet um, started as the artistic director of the theater company that I'm with, but I was working for them at the time, teaching classes. And, you know, it, it wasn't really paying the bills. So I was like, I need to find a way to make money That is also creative because that's what feeds my soul. And if, you know, if it ever becomes anything, I don't want to start a business and then hate it, you know? So writing was a way for me to be creative and do something that, um, I don't know if I knew that I loved writing, but I knew I loved reading. So I was already kind of invested in that realm. And I just realized that I didn't have to be acting for me. What I needed was the creative outlet. So I kind of pivoted and tried writing. I also was one of those people who always thought, I, I should write a book one day. I'm going to do it. But, you know, there's only one thing that separates you from literally the millions of other people in the world who are saying that same thing to themselves, even now as we, we're talking. And that's the actual doing of it. Everybody says they've got a book in them. Um, mm-hmm. But unless you write it, it doesn't really count. So, I was like I want to make sure that I've written a book before I die. As <laughs> well, something I want to do, bucket list.
1: So I did it. Yeah. I I love that. We love an entrepreneurial spirit here, but uh, as much as you're talking about the creative process, there's also um a business side to that. Like how, what was the self-publishing process like and and did this like impact um your creativity in any way? Like how did you navigate the business side of it?
2: Well, honestly, with my first book, I wasn't looking at it as a business. I was, I was looking at it as I need to write this story. If some people read it, that would be great. So I do want to publish it eventually. Um, And I know that I made probably a hundred mistakes publishing my first book without question, because right now I'm working on my second, which means that I'm also working on the business end of the second, the first book, I separated those two things and I thought, about the creative side. And when the book was finished, I started thinking about the publishing side and the business side of things. Whereas with my second book, the, the business part is very much worked into the creative portion uh, as I'm writing, because I'm, I'm only in my second draft of my second book right now. Uh, but already I'm thinking a lot more about the publishing side of things. And this is partly because of what I learned doing it wrong the first time. So a uh, couple tips for people, if you ever wanna publish a book for yourself, um, mm-hmm. a couple of important things to know, uh, it's expensive, it or at least it can be. Um, the main thing though is if you do it yourself and you self-publish, what that means is you're gonna be the one responsible for the formatting, for the cover, and all of those details that you could, for the editing that you would normally be paying someone to do. Um, if you self-publish, you can hire someone out to do all of those things, but that's where it gets expensive, is if you're going to be hiring a developmental editor, editor, a copy editor, and a proofreader, and then you're also hiring a cover designer, and you're hiring a formatter, that's going to add up and eat into your profits, right? Mm-hmm. So in my first book, because I wasn't thinking about it as a business, I was just trying to like get my story out there. Um I did everything myself. I learned how to format my book. I learned how to make a book cover. I learned how to edit, but in the end, I'm not an expert in any of those things. And no matter how much effort I put into learning it for one book, the, the results are not as good as if I had just paid somebody to do those parts for me. Um, and in my next journey right now, I first of all, right now I'm trying to decide if I even wanna be self-publishing this next book. And mm. I don't really. And the reason for that is because when you self-publish, you also are your own marketing person. And I hate marketing. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I hate it because in totally the end, it's, it's self-promotion is all it is. It's you talking about yourself and your work all the time and posting about it on social media and learning how to run ads on Amazon and Facebook and I mean, that in itself is like a full-time job to sit there and look at the analytics of how did this post do and why did it not do as well? And now I can even change this one thing about it and see if it does any better or worse. God, that sounds boring. I I could not describe something sounding like less fun for me. And so I don't really want to have to do it. Um, If I could be traditionally published and have somebody doing that for me, that would be great. But in the end, that's not really how traditional publishing works anymore either. They do, a traditional publisher does not ask you for money. This is a really important thing because I see newbie writers of all ages on writing groups always asking this question. And This person offered me a great deal. Should I, should I take it? And almost always the answer is no. If a publisher approaches you directly about a deal, it's probably a vanity publisher. Um. Mm. Even if you sought them out half the time, they're vanity publishers. If if it's not one of like the big main publishers and you go to them and they're like, yes, absolutely. We would love to publish your book. It'll cost this much money. It's not that it's a scam. It's that you are the product and not your book. The companies that take money from an author to publish their book are taking the money so that they can pay to hire the editor for your book, to hire the formatter for your book, to hire the cover designer, all things that you're like, oh great, I don't have to do it myself, yay. Mm -hmm. But if they're taking your money, you are their, you are, what is the word I'm looking for, Rebecca? Uh, Commodity? (laughs) I I, I think that's, uh, we're on the right track. My brain isn't finding the word right now. I'm going to say that's COVID brain as
1: well, but. Oh Yeah for sure. We've all got that. But I'm honestly, I'm so intrigued by like everything you're saying, please continue. (laughs) It means that if they're taking
2: the money from you, the author, you, the author are what are, are not their product that they're selling, right? They're not making the money off your book sales. They're making their money off you, right? That is the way that their business structure works. So if their business structure is set up, to make money off you, it's not going to be to make money off your books. They're not going to be putting in like a super, probably any marketing, if I'm being honest, they're probably not going to do any of that for you. They're going to get your book published, make you buy some copies, and then you are going to be responsible for selling them. And so this is where I'm saying it's not a scam. It is a valid business. It's just not the business that most authors think they are approaching when they go to publishers. Um, Mm -hmm. So just the one most important thing for, I guess, any younger people listening, because I do see a lot of kids, you know, 15, 16, 17 on these writing groups on Facebook too. Um, So there's definitely a lot out there who want to write. If that's what you want to do, just know that if a publisher asks you for money, then they are a vanity publisher, which means that they pretty much will publish anything because they're making the money off of you. They Mm -hmm. want to say yes to you. Um, so it's just important for people to know, not to like jump within excitement. Yay, a publisher wants me, yay. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the great news that you think it is, but you don't have to be terrified of it either. You just have to know what you want. Um, and that's what I'm doing more with my second book is I'm trying to decide what I want from it. Do I want to build a platform so I can write more books uh, and have more people read them? Do I want to do this self-published it, like, or do I want to go traditional published or do I want to do more of a hybrid model, which is also a thing? And all of this is new to me, right? This is not what I, I trained in university to do. I mean, I went to acting school. Um, mm. <laughs> so this is pretty far off, off base from what I, I spent my time learning how to do, which just means that I'm learning how to do it now basically yeah, yeah.
1: right I actually something I'm really liking from hearing about you talking about your journey is that there's a lot of exploration involved like it, it's oh, a yeah. really great example to show people that like you don't actually need to know what you're doing to do it like yeah. <laughs> life is about <laughs> learning life is about learning and you you've developed so many new skills and you know you you're also still questioning what pathways this will open you're not set down like one sort of road I, yeah, Every, I'm,
2: for me, yes, absolutely. Everything in my life is a journey, and I would say I've been that kind of thing has been described of me many times. I I set my own path for myself and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's definitely a journey. I think I I even with the stuff that I did train to do. Now I'm artistic director of a theater company. I'm I had to learn a whole ton of new stuff to take on that job, and then COVID happened, and mm-hmm. bam, I'm relearning everything, right? Mm -hmm. So many things changed. And like in one month I had to learn a ton of new skills. For example, now I'm editing videos all the time, (laughs) uh, learning how to work with Adobe Premiere pro and not, you know, rip my hair out from it because it's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also in general, and this is maybe it's just me, but I have a feeling I have a feeling it's not, but I have a I've realized one thing as an adult and that's that pretty much everybody is faking it
1: all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the very first time that I realized like doctors and all that sort of stuff were people too. I think I was like in, in like university because I was with these people <laughs> who are learning how to be doctors and I was like, holy crap. Right. They, Some just of them went out, are like, still they're, learning. They're as hungover as I am in class. These people are normal normal people. Like they don't know everything. Like when you're little, you sort of like you you think yes, the doctor has the answer or like the teacher has the answer. Like that is the absolute. But you yeah, learning that yeah, learning that everyone is is literally faking it is quite like oh
2: (laughs) yeah. And, like you watch experts on the news and and stuff like that. Like, there's just experts that pop up all over the place. But I mean, I've been called in as an expert. Mm. Am I? Am I one? I don't know. I don't know when that qualification like kicks into place, but it doesn't click into my brain as quickly as I think other people start to see you as successful or knowledgeable in a specific field. You won't feel that way yet. Right. This, I mean, I do have an inferiority complex and undervalue myself constantly. Uh, But I I think that's also a pretty normal tendency for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Imposter syndrome is definitely a thing. But um, I think that what makes a good expert is someone who is continually learning and who knows that they don't like know everything and that understands that concepts change and evolve over time and with new information that's what makes a good expert to me it's not someone who deals in absolutes
2: I think that's why I really like teaching and yeah. why I really like where I ended up as um, artistic director of theatrics is because I'm, I'm working with young students all the time there's I mean you never you can't do two shows and have them come out the same even if it was the same show right? You could do Hamlet twice and it will not be the same performance. You start putting in a different cast and different directors to it. And you're going to get different things out of the process every time. And Mm. when you, when you teach and and direct and you work with kids in this, in this way, like, it's just kind of a constant reminder that we're, we're not at an end point. We're just on the journey somewhere. Mm -hmm. Really have to know what the end point is going to look like yet.
1: Hmm. I agree. And, and uh, tell us a little bit more about your second book. So the book that I'm working on now,
2: as I mentioned, I'm only in the second draft right now. So um, I'm going to call this pretty early on in my process. But if we compared it to the last book, it would be like three years into the journey already. And I started mm-hmm. this one in the summer. So I am getting faster. Yeah. It's <laughs> important.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the first one took five years and this one, you're hoping there's going to be like a 50% cut.
2: Oh, at least time. I'm really hoping there is, but it depends on if I go traditional publish. Cause you can, if you go traditional publish, I might end up with a finished manuscript that I sit on for years, like mm-hmm. without doing anything because it's just not getting picked up because of the market at the, at the time or not being able to find the right agent. But yes in theory I'm gonna cut a significant amount of time down I want to get it to the pace where I can write a book a year that would be great there are people mm. who can do a book every 30 days Rebecca I, wow. I think they are, I know I think that's just an impossible thing good for them good for them I can't do it I'm not even gonna strive for that that goal seems <laughs> too realistic for me seem
1: like a lot <laughs> yeah.
2: I also know like with my life and where I'm at right now like Kids are probably going to come into the picture sooner than later.
1: I don't. That's a bit exciting. Sure. (laughs) It's also (laughs) terrifying. Uh,
2: And and I have a full-time job and that full-time job requires me to be learning new things all the time. So in theory, I think I can cut my time down in terms of how much time it actively takes me to work on the, on the project, but uh, it still might be a long time before it actually goes anywhere but uh, to answer your simplest question tell me about the book yeah (laughs) young adult fantasy novel which is the genre that I probably read in the most and this is a Peter Pan retelling Um, Mm. but I'm not I'm not actually telling the story of Peter Pan my concept when I first came up with the story is what if we what is Neverland like this place how did the Indians get to Neverland Like, no one ever talks about that. The the pirates, how did they show up? There are mermaids there? What's that about? And I just kind of wanted to explore, like, what is the origin of the Island of Neverland? Not the origin of Peter Pan. So my story takes place long before Peter Pan. There Mm. is no Peter. There is no Wendy or the Darling Children. There's no Tinkerbell because Tinkerbell is associated, um, like, she's Peter Pan's fairy, if you read the original. Yeah. Book or play, right? So she can't exist yet either. So, in this retelling, I have pirates. I have the Native American Indians, which I actually never referred to them once in the whole story as Indians because I this is just an area where I'm like, I don't know what to do I'm right i, I it's not an own voices story because I'm not Native yeah. American, but I can't leave them out at all yeah, <laughs> they're a very integral part of Neverland so I've basically invented a tribe um of Native American Indians called the Hyana people, which I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but the word itself does come from um, a word that means rain or land of rain, something like that. Um, Yeah. To be ironic because Tiger Lily and her people are fleeing. They come to Neverland in order to get away from their land because there is no rain, because there's a drought and the land is dying and they're searching for a new land.
1: It sounds like there is a lot of research that is going into this project, and I am excited to hear more about it. We are going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we'll learn more about the story.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey you, yeah you, are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car,
1: outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at globalteenwealth That's Brandy with an I at globalteenwealth Now back to this week's show. Ah! About Lauren's latest
1: book. Um, and Lauren, there's so much research um, and like learning that you you've done with your books and everything. And you've learned so much about the process. Like you talked a little bit about self-publishing and everything that goes into it. Have you ever thought of combining um, like teaching and and your new found passion for writing into like a workshop for those that maybe are interested in becoming haven't... writers themselves? I haven't yet.
2: Um, We have talked about doing, because when COVID started, theatrics created an online performing arts studio. So we started creating webinars and virtual classes in acting, singing, dancing, and storytelling. And we kind of thought, you know, maybe we create something around play building and and writing in terms of like writing scripts. Um, But we, we didn't, we haven't done that yet. Mostly because of imposter syndrome, as you mentioned, I don't necessarily feel... Qualified yet, which might be stupid because I've done this already. Um, mm. And I have learned a lot. Like, I don't feel like a newbie anymore necessarily, but I kind of still am. So, yeah. I haven't started teaching that yet. But one thing that I do, I, and I'm thinking of starting, is like um, an author tube, which is yeah. like BookTube, which is basically YouTube for book lovers. Author tube is you know, YouTube for people that are learning how to be authors. And I certainly watch a number of BookTube and AuthorTube things all the time to help me learn. It's one of the ways that I've learned the most, actually. So mm-hmm. that might be something that I, 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 and honestly, it's a good way to build brand awareness as well. So it might be something that I do, you know, maybe in the year leading up to publishing.
1: I would definitely attend that. I'm learning a lot from... Um just your your attitude for one and and um yeah I'm learning a lot about the book publishing process and as you say everybody has a book in them but it what sets you apart is you know that actually action of doing it um and not all of us know how to you know take the first steps like you've done so
2: Rebecca I, I was like three chapters into my first book when I was like and now I don't know what to do next <laughs> and I sat down and I googled how do I write a book
1: like I literally
2: was starting at the very very beginning right yeah
1: I think you have a lot of valuable things to say like uh, I would definitely attend a workshop but I want to I want to make sure that we don't miss out on um the other project that you touched on uh which is based around mental health do you want to tell us quickly about that one
2: I would love to Mm -hmm. um so we're just starting to to promote it now we haven't even started the project yet Uh, Mm um but this is First of all, the theater company that I work for is a youth theater company and it's located in Coquitlam, Tri-City area. So any kids that are like Port Moody, Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam, and we honestly do get a number of kids coming from Pitt Meadows, Maple Ridge and Surrey as well, and sometimes Burnaby. Um, Mm -hmm. But those are kind of the areas that that we teach out of. And the play that we're gonna be working on um, will be, we've tentatively titled it, The Happiness Play that might not be the title that we actually perform it with. That's just what it's going to be uh, as we, as we start the process. So right now is like registration and kids can sign up for their auditions. We are an inclusive theater, which means like the auditions are just a formality so that I can meet people. It's not about actually casting you in the show. If you register, you're going to get a part. Um, And when we do an original, I can't even assign parts at an audition. I don't know what parts there are going to be other than like my very basic story outline that I have. Mm -hmm. So like I said, we start, I like to start with a general story outline, just a basic guideline. And in this one, my idea was um, a, a, a curiosity shop just appears at the edge of town one day mm-hmm. out of nowhere. No one sees it get set up, it's just there. Yesterday it wasn't, now it is. And the shop is claims to sell happiness. So in the story, I'm thinking we get a few kids to go into the happiness shop and explore uh, and the person who runs it tries to sell them not so much on an object or a thing that they could buy because can money buy happiness would be kind of a concept that we explore as part of the show. But mm-hmm. I think this this character that I have in mind will probably um, be trying to sell the children on like going through a transformation, like take a magic pill or going to go into this magic machine. when you come out, you're going to be like a little happiness robot. Happiness will be all you feel all the time. Life will be wonderful. You'll forget about all your troubles. Things will be perfect. Mm -hmm. And the characters will need to be, represent different aspects of humanity. Like I'm thinking we have somebody who's like, absolutely, I just want to be happy. My life sucks so bad. My parents are so hard to deal with and blah, blah, blah. Um, Yes, give me the pill. I'm going to take it. And then another who has a completely opposite reaction, maybe needs to be talked into it. Maybe there's a character who is like more, I think like Wednesday Adams from the Adams Family or Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice, like a little like gothy teen who is angsty and depressed, but like doesn't care. Yeah, that that doesn't mean that they're actually unhappy with their life. They um, And maybe starts to help the others realize that happiness isn't necessarily a, the goal, the end goal or if it is yeah. that maybe there's a different way to go about it or at the very least, I think in the end, I want the story to be that there's no shortcut to finding happiness.
1: Yeah, a little bit kind of like um, inside out a little where you, you learn <laughs> that every, every emotion is important. Yes, And definitely. you can experience happiness with sadness and with and anger. they complement each other, yes. right? Like,
2: would your happiness mean as much if you never felt sadness?
1: Yeah. Well, would there's you, some really big care? questions there. What, what is happiness to you?
2: I don't know. For me, I guess the words that come to mind are peace and freedom. And when I think of the moments in my life that were the absolute Happiest, they are moments when I have felt completely free and very peaceful. The first Mm. moment that comes to mind is I I honestly remember it as being, I was 12 years old. We were at my camp and it was just a perfect day, perfectly sunny. I went straight to the beach. Nobody bothered me for hours. Like I didn't have to talk to anyone. (laughs) There wasn't (laughs) even, there were no seagulls, which is incredibly uncommon there were no clouds there were no bugs how does that happen at a cottage i don't even know but i just like sat half in the water and half on the sand for hours and i was completely free completely peaceful and then later that night my best friend came over for a campfire it was just an awesome day and i still remember that as being one of the happiest days of my life i love um, that yeah and other other memories that come up for me when i think about like my happiness i i think of a time first time alex and i met alex is my husband Mm. Um, But the first time we met in Calgary, he took me on a hike. We hiked up um, Kananaskis Mountain and we get to the top and there's just nobody around and so many mountains to look at. And I was like, "Um, this is going to be weird because I just met you, but I'm going to (laughs) sing. And Okay. (laughs) And that's what I did. I did monologues and I sang at the top of my lungs from the top of a mountain and yes, there were probably people on paths somewhere that could hear me, but I
1: didn't see them. So I didn't care. And, I love and yeah, that. it was free. Yeah. What an incredible experience. I love that. It sounds like your your idea of happiness is very strongly like connected to the idea of being connected to, to your surroundings. And yes. Having the space and freedom. I love that. Yeah. Well, where can people find you if they want to um, follow your journey? Oh, so many places, Rebecca. You yeah. can find me <laughs> on on Facebook,
2: uh, obviously. Let's see. I'm create with Lauren on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. which is what I created back when we were doing Pocket Live together. Yeah. Um, on Amazon, if you were looking for my book, you would look for Outcast by Lauren Hillman. Um, I do have an author page on Facebook. Trying to remember what it is. I think it's just Lauren J. Hillman. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, if you're looking for my books, I do put J in my name, Lauren J. Hillman. Oh no, I didn't. I'm doing that now with my current book and my new author platform. But I'm looking, I'm looking at a copy of my first book, and there's no J. Interesting. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think there was a J. Yeah. So they can find your book on Amazon. Um, do you have a website or? Um... Uh,
2: I don't have a personal website because I haven't felt the need for it yet, although I absolutely Mm -hmm. have to get on doing that. But if you are interested in following the theater stuff that I do, the website is theatricsyouththeatersociety.com. And that always Mm -hmm. talks about like our current projects. uh, And in fact, you can actually see recent projects we've done because we're posting videos of our, uh, you know, with COVID, we've had to do a lot more, um, reaching audiences different ways, basically. So we have videos now of um, our Princess Bride production, which we literally filmed on Zoom at the very start of COVID. Mm. Um, and then uh, the most recent production we did, Human Like Me, which was our anti-racism initiative project, uh, we just put on our YouTube channel this morning.
1: Mm, nice. We'll have to check that out. What's What's been your um, favorite project so far? Uh, you want to narrow that down a little? Like favorite acting project, favorite um, writing project? Let's let's go with one that, that you've been in. So one that you've been able to act in.
2: Uh, that would go all the way back to university, I think. Uh, I yeah. did play in university for my graduating year called Seven Stories. And one, it was a Canadian play. That's always going to give it some points. Two, it was a clown play. Again, points. Love clown work in theater. <laughs> it is it is the best. If you if you don't get a chance to do, if you ever get a chance to do theater and get to do clown work, please do it because clowning is all about finding the joy in everything. Um, they're just big giant babies, right? Experiencing the world for the first time. And in every moment you're deciding, is this the best thing I've ever felt in my life or the absolute worst? And there's no in between. And so if you're finding any enjoyment from it, you just get to take all the enjoyment from it instead and it's just so freeing and fun and I, I love doing that clown work with my students too and we will be doing clown work for the happiness play because yeah I mean it it's, about like happiness. it's a, a good match
1: yeah yeah That that's a really cool way to look at clowns I like that <laughs>
2: yeah and so that that play was way like oh god like 15 years ago that I did that show in university mm. but it was it will have a solid place in my heart forever
1: well, we are coming towards the end of the show and a question that Brandy always likes to um, end the show on is that if you had 60 seconds where the whole world had to just stop and listen to what you had to say and you, you wanted to impart some wisdom and advice or something that really, um, you know, is held close to your heart, what would you say? It's just a small question, you know. Yeah, just a, just a small. <laughs> 60, 60 seconds to tell us. Like, that, that people have to listen to.
2: Do whatever you want to make you happy. It doesn't have to be what other people think will make you happy. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody but you.
1: Your journey is going to be your own. Mm. So take that and run with it. I love that. And and you don't need to know what you're doing, right? <laughs> you- no, you really don't. And in fact, you should do
2: things even if you're not good at it. Like just for fun. You don't have to take absolutely everything you love and turn it into a money maker. You don't have to be amazing at everything you do.
1: Sometimes you can just do it because you like it. 100%. I love that so much. And that's something we definitely talk about a lot on the show is that you, you don't, like everything doesn't have to have like a capitalist gain. You can do things simply because you enjoy them. Um, and because it makes you feel good. You don't actually have to be like good at it per se. Exactly. If it feels if so, good, you're good at it.
2: <laughs> something I read a long time ago said that you should have three important things in your life. And one of them has to you know feed your soul creatively. Something creative that you love to do. It doesn't mean you have to be good at it. One mm. of them needs to be um, for your health. Something you love to do that will help keep you healthy in your life um and the third one was probably money I don't even remember what what the third one was anymore the other two are what really stuck out to me mm-hmm. so people saying you know you need important things in your life uh that to to make you happy and to find joy and uh, to keep you healthy not all of them have to be focused on money
1: Yes, yeah. feed your soul feed your heart feed your health that is a perfect way to end the show Thank you so much for being with us, Lauren. Um, so everybody out there, make sure that you check out Lauren Hillman's uh, latest work and order her book, Outcast, on Amazon. Uh, and yeah, we we would be excited to have you back again one day and, and learn more about your projects. Um, but thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us. Everyone out there, join us again next week, same time, same place, Monday, 5 o'clock, PST. Thanks for joining us on Teen Wealth Radio.
2: Bye